Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Passionate about standing up for all Canadians. The Roy Green Show continues. Just a reminder to you that tomorrow, to start the show tomorrow, Sam Nunberg is going to be our guest. He's a former political advisor to President Donald Trump, and uh, we're going to talk to Mr. Nunberg about a series of issues that are ongoing now, including the Mueller investigation and uh, the United States getting out of the, uh, the U.N. Human Rights Commission. That makes absolute sense to me because... When the U.N. Human Rights Commission had Libya and Muammar Gaddafi as the chairman, that was time to quit then. That was 20-odd years ago. So uh, Sam Nunberg is going to be with us to talk a lot of issues with him. But now we've been uh, hearing over the last week and a bit that the chancellor of Germany, Angela Merkel, is in difficulty, real trouble. As far as her job is concerned, she's the most powerful politician in Europe. And she had difficulty putting together a coalition after the last election, was able to do that. But now there's uh, there is there's trouble. There's an internal push because uh, one of her senior cabinet ministers is significantly opposed to the idea of uh, leaving Germany's borders wide open. And Ms. Merkel may be out. I uh, remember speaking with Cheryl Bernard, uh, Professor Cheryl Bernard, this in, it was last year, after she wrote a column for the National Interest uh, .org. I've worked with refugees for decades. Europe's Afghan crime wave is mind-boggling. And uh, Professor Bernard writes in part, this is not an article that's been fun for me to write. I have worked on issues related to refugees for much of my professional life. From the Pakistani camps during the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan to Yemen, Sudan, Thailand, Ethiopia, Djibouti, Lebanon, Bosnia, Nicaragua, and Iraq, and have deep sympathy for their plight. But nowhere had I encountered a phenomenon like this one. I'd seen refugees trapped in circumstances that made them vulnerable to rape by camp guards or soldiers. But for refugees to become perpetrators of this crime in the place that had given them asylum, that was something new. And that's been one of the issues that has been, we've been repeatedly told, swept under the rug by politicians in Germany and and police officials. And even though Professor Bernard wrote specifically about, or more directly about Austria than Germany. Uh, Cheryl, it's great to have you back on the program. Thank you so much. And I should point out that uh, your book, Civil Democratic Islam, was one of the books that was found in Osama bin Laden's personal library. When the seals very invaded true, his, very true. I'm sorry. I'm going to take it as a compliment. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, uh, this 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 speaks to somebody uh, who the whole world was interested in, whether you hated him or whether you, they were people who who admired him. Uh, that he had your book in his library, I think, is significant. It is. So, what? How do you interpret what's going on in, in Germany and in Europe? 
at the moment, with the Chancellor of Germany in danger of losing her job, and it seems to cycle back to this whole issue of borders open, migrants in, and criminal activity taking place that politicians and police officials turn a blind eye to. So it's a big deal for Angela Merkel, but beyond that, it's a big deal for Europe, too, because maybe we'll have time to get into that briefly. But beyond Germany, this is creating major rifts across Europe as well as countries and governments line, line up differently on the issue. So um, it's good that you, that you uh, started in with the crime wave topic, because in a sense, this crisis, again, was launched by one of those, by one of those incidents. Um, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with the case of Susanna Feldman. This is a 14-year-old girl who uh, very, very recently was found raped and murdered near a refugee center in Germany. And it was then traced to an Iraqi, in this case, uh, refugee. And by the time the police tried to find him, he had fled with false documents back to Iraq. I'm, I'm, you probably read about it. And I did, yes. The Iraqi yes. government or the Kurdish government extradited him back to Germany. But the interesting or terrible thing about this case that has Germany particularly riled up is that he arrived in 2015 with the major wave of refugees. In 2016, his asylum request was rejected, but he has stayed on and he was still here in 2018 to murder this young girl. So the Germans are asking, how is this possible? Not only that, but in the years that he was here, that wasn't the only thing he did. He attacked a policewoman. He was involved in some armed robberies. And he was accused of raping an 11-year-old refugee girl in the refugee center where he lived. So how, they're going, wh- wh- how, how can this be? And how can our inefficiency of operations and our willing to, uh, willingness to let people stay on and appeal and appeal again and appeal again, even when there's no grounds for it, how can this put our own citizenry in danger? So this is at the crux of it. Because her interior minister, as you rightly say, is saying, okay, no, we have to have a much clearer uh, policy, and when somebody isn't eligible, they have to be sent away from Germany right away. Angela Merkel is saying, well, sure, yes, but we need a European-wide agreement on this. And then again, someone like Seehofer, the interior minister, will reply, well, you've had years to do that, and it apparently isn't happening, and the cost is too high. So that's where we, where we are in Germany right now. And the, think about the original picture in 2015, as the refugee trains arrived, and there were the Germans, as you point out in your column, there were the Germans holding up signs, welcome refugees. And there were, it, right. it seemed like it was going to, well, it seemed like it might work. But I, my feeling was, these are people, uh, the refugees who in, or, or migrants, who probably had, uh, for the most part, had, had, had experienced very difficult times in the countries they were in. They were now somewhere where they didn't speak the language, they didn't know the customs, they didn't appreciate what they what they encountered because it went contrary to their to their uh, to their own country's um, uh, character or, if you will, their their belief system. And then over a period of months, the dominoes started to drop, and they started to realize they could they were getting away with it because the politicians and the police didn't want to get involved. They didn't want to be seen as being anti-refugee. And the right. situation spiraled out of control. It wasn't just, as you say, it wasn't just Germany. It wasn't just Austria. It was, it was uh, you, you write about Sweden and other countries where the same sort of situation was taking place, where, where, where women were being systematically raped and no, nothing was being done about it. That's right. So initially, in the very, very beginning, the assumption was, well, these are all Syrian refugees, and they're fleeing from a war zone. And this is a limited population, even though it's, the numbers may be relatively large, but still 
it's it's a limited situation and we can do it as angela merkel said but it became clear very very soon that a the way in which this was unfolding was much too fast and much too chaotic and you didn't really know who was coming in and you had no way of vetting them or or, or processing this appropriately so that should have been your first red flag when action should have been taken. And then secondly, it became very obvious very soon that in fact the majority of these people were not Syrian refugees and indeed were not refugees at all, but were what you know the German term now is like economic refugees. They were just leaving countries where they didn't like to be for whatever reason. So they were sort of migrants, which is a very different uh, circumstance altogether. And then it's just taken far too long for the Europeans to react to this and and to realize that this was a, a situation of grave peril. Yeah. Let me take a quick break, uh, Cheryl. We'll come back with uh, Professor Cheryl Bernard and uh, speak some more about her article and talk about uh, her experiences. She writes in the, uh, in, the, in the article, it took a while for the pattern to be recognized in Europe because until recently, Western European media deliberately refrained from identifying an assailant's refugee or asylum status or his country of origin only when the correlation became so dramatic that it was itself newsworthy, did the policy change? So this policy uh, and what's happened since may very well see the end of the political career of the most powerful woman in Europe. But then what happens beyond Germany and beyond Austria? What happens in the rest of Europe? We'll ask Cheryl Bernard for her thoughts on that. The professor will ask her for her thoughts when we come back. He doesn't like bullies, and he'll call them out. This, this is the Roy Green Show. Follow me on Twitter at The Roy Green Show, at The Roy Green Show. Dr. Cheryl Bernard was the program director of the Initiative for Middle Eastern Youth and the Alternative Strategies Initiative within the RAND Corporation's National Security Research Division. Her publications include that Civil Democratic Islam, uh, Building Moderate Muslim Networks, The Muslim World After 9-11, The Battle Behind the Wire, U.S. Prisoner and Detainee Operations, and Euro Jihad, Patterns of Islamist Radicalization and Terrorism in Europe. And again, Civil Democratic Islam was one of the books found in Osama bin Laden's library during the raid on his compound by American special forces. Professor Bernard, let's talk about, or please explain to us, what is the impact then on the rest of Europe? If the crisis, the center of the crisis is in Germany and Austria and in that particular region of, of Europe, although Italy just last week or two weeks ago denied the the landing of a refugee ship in any of its ports and they moved on to Spain what is the what's the fallout in the rest of of western europe well man all of europe so one, right right so one thing that probably even you know many of your canadian tourists have noticed when they visit europe is the schengen is gone for now it's supposedly suspended will it ever come in again the free movement across borders between uh, between the eu countries who knows but it's definitely gone for now, and that's a major loss. Then you have, you know, huge rifts emerging among the European states. As you say, Italy has already announced that they've had enough of this, and they're not taking any more refugees in, and they're not on board. They're even saying that they're not sure they're going to go to any more EU summits on this topic, because all it ever produces is another piece of paper. 
Then you have uh, Hungary, which is taking the lead among the Eastern European EU states. So they've got, um, they've got Slovakia, the Czech Republic, um, and Poland behind them on a similar hardline stance against the position of Germany. And then there's Austria, which is lining up with Hungary, and also, this is important, lining up with Bavaria, which of course is part of Germany, against the stance of, uh, of, of Angela Merkel. So the, the fracture lines are, are very strongly visible. And where is this leading? I've, uh, I mean, we, we hear that some European countries are encouraging migrants to leave. Some of them are paying migrants to leave. Um, but clearly there's been a tremendous influx of people into Western Europe. There's huge pressure for more to enter Western Europe or enter Europe, period. Uh, where's this leading? Well, Is there any way know, to know? It's, it's, it's gone a bit far. You know, I, I wish this had been addressed a few years ago. It's, it's gone a bit far at this point because now you've got a lot of people who are already in some sort of a very complicated a legal appeals process that could take many, many years, and you've got political consequences. What you were alluding to earlier about Germany, that, um, that you know, that the institutions and also the liberal forces in the country uh, were covering up a lot of these crimes and a lot of these problems because they were worried about creating a right-wing backlash. But in fact, their cover-up did exactly that, because now you have people who are quite conservative, quite, you know, middle of the road, being drawn to the ISD, that's the alternative for Germany, the sort of very nationalist party, you have them having a lot more support than they otherwise would because they're the only party that's speaking directly about this, that is announcing these crimes, talking about them, allowing a platform to discuss the worries and concerns of the citizens. So the opposite effect was, was achieved by that. Now they're talking about, well, what do we do? Uh, we've got to expedite the process, but that's very difficult. Then they tried to have these holding centers where refugees that arrive could be screened and kept there until one ascertains, are these even refugees and do they have any chance whatsoever of getting asylum here? If they don't, one would have sent them back expeditiously, which is better for everyone, including those people themselves. Uh, That was rejected, again, by the liberal Germans drawing analogies to camps. Now they're talking about having holding centers in North Africa, uh, which they say will have to be in order to be respectful to human rights. They'll have to be very nice centers with medical care, education, uh, social services, entertainment facilities, and so on. Well, that's fine. That's, that's good. But think about it. I mean, that will be a magnet to attract people who are living in poverty. They'll say, well, all I need to do is get myself on a rickety boat in the Mediterranean, and I'll be scooped up and taken to a detention center where I'll be taken care of for, for many years, if not forever. It's it's hard to see a good solution right now. Yeah. Uh, what about the younger demographic, the younger uh, Europeans? How are they viewing this? Because ultimately, and, and not so distantly in the future, it's going to be their problem to address. How do they see it now? So this is where Italy is interesting, because actually the, the nationalist, uh, you know, anti-immigrant party in Italy is demographically very heavily weighted towards the young. The young people there are saying, you know, the, the existing older politicians and, and their electorate uh, have messed things up and are corrupt, and we need something different and new. That's not the only, that is not the only uh, part of the platform of this, of, of this party, but it is a central one. 
is the level of crime, and let's go back to the criminal issue, because that really is what's caused much of this uh, reaction and this, this pushback in, in European countries. Is the level of crime decreasing? Is it static or is it increasing? So that is a real hot button issue. And again, the sort of the liberal forces are very intent on trying to find results that show that it's not going up. And I looked at some of their data, and they do absurd things to change the numbers. Like they'll say, "Well, migrants and and asylum seekers should not be put in the same category. You have to separate that out and look only at the asylum seekers." Well, that doesn't make any sense. What you're really looking at is the influx of newcomers. Has that affected the security situation? And when you look at it in the whole picture, then you get a very different outcome. Uh, the other problem is you have to, if you want to look at the data, you have to be very specific and look at it state by state because there aren't national results usually until several years later, until the, the central authorities publish their crime reports. But there is no doubt that in particular sex-related crimes and then things like uh, physical injuries that usually are things like knife fights among refugees in refugee centers and things like that, um, small armed crimes like armed robberies, that um, those those are definitely up. And there's a 22% increase in the feeling of insecurity on the part of German citizens. And that's definitely going to make itself noticeable when elections come around. Well, clearly this is not a situation that's just going to be allowed to tread water. There's going to be response, reaction. And even if it's just uh, individual countries taking individual positions, which is, will be difficult under the rules of the EU, but they may, they'll just ignore the EU as... As uh, as as Poland and uh, Hungary seem to be doing, this is a this is a very very um, disturbing reality, but it's one that has to be dealt with. But, uh, Professor Bernard, it's it's good talking to you again. Thank you so much for the time. Anytime. Good luck. Bye Take bye. care. Bye bye, Professor Cheryl Bernard. Bernard. That's B E N A R D. The program director was the program director for the initiative for Middle Eastern Youth and the Alternative Strategies Initiative within the RAND Corporation's National Security Research Division. And again, her book, Civil Democratic Islam, was found in the personal library of Osama bin Laden when he was killed by American forces in Pakistan. So the situation in Europe, very, very tense, very tense. And the stories are finally being more openly reported. You know what's been uh, said about what's going on in England, so, yeah. Uh, We'll see what happens to Angela Merkel. When we come back, it's Catherine, Linda, and Michelle, and Beauties and the Beast.